Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Jackie Monahan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a good while. To see you. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. You're um, in Los Angeles, your home. Mm-hmm. And is everything just fabulous there all the time? Yeah. I mean, it's just happiness, joyous, and freest. Awesome. That is awesome. Um, now, you you did you um, performed in Key West for Women Fest uh, a year, about almost a year ago, and um, you killed it. I think it did like three shows, right? Yeah, that was so. I had so much fun. At Comedy Key West, you are you are our bright spot during the Women Fest. Uh, you are the beacon of women. Oh my gosh! Thank you. You're mm. the beacon of women too. I had a little so, bit. like. We got to dance. We did everything. Remember, we we went to that club, and I was the only person wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I yeah, of course that was. It's Florida. It's still Florida, Jackie. So. Right, right, right. But I I was coming from here where everybody wore masks. Yes, I, I, so I, I there I, where nobody was wearing a mask, and I went with it. Like I didn't wear a mask either because <laughs> everything is mostly outside. <laughs> Correct, correct. And I, I can't do comedy with a mask on. Um, but but inside the club, I was like, okay, this is a little bit out it of It was mind. a little, yeah, it's <laughs> it's my town. But um, uh, I'm just laughing because I'm, I'm uh, if I, yeah, it's crying on the inside. Anyway, uh, but um, <laughs> you, you've been doing stand-up for a while. You've been to the um, Cannes Film Festival with work. I mean, how did you get, when was the moment you were like, okay, I'm going to do this full time. Like, I can do this like when when did that hit you um when did it hit me that I could do it full-time when I couldn't I couldn't do couldn't not do it full-time does that make sense yes because yeah and it's it's like faith without works is dead if you don't put your faith in it then it's not gonna work it's a tough and then you're dead then you're dead yes you're all you're right all of, all of these are proverbs of comedy um but it's it's just such a tough business with there's so everyone's a comedian everyone's got but you are so that? you're busy you got everything you've got the 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 special on amazon on, on prime right right these lips and um you've got the tell us about the shows you did the jackie mo show oh i do the jackie mo show on twitch uh almost every saturday at five uh, Pacific. Pacific. Um, I I only don't do it when I'm on the road, or I mean, even when I'm on the road, I can do it because then um, I usually have time to do it before shows. But if I'm in a different time zone, I can't. And uh, yeah, so it's really fun. And if people message me, they could be in the Zoom room, okay, with me and watch it. And and actually, I should have you on it. Do you want to do it this Saturday? by chance yeah what pacific time it's pacific time five pacific so it's i'm going up this saturday uh what about like so tell me a saturday don't tell me now message me a saturday i will i will i will thank you no i'd love to i'd love to i um i uh when they give stage time i'm like yes i'll be there 
Yeah, you I, have to. No, I will so make funny. a special. Uh, I will make it, a special date. Remember, James Patterson said that you were the funniest comedian in, on all of uh, Key West. He did. He did. Yeah. yeah. He's so nice. He's so nice. He's a great guy. He's really helpful yeah. to. Um, Is he coming back there? Do you know? He just got back. He just oh, got great. back, and uh, right. yeah, comedy Key West. He's he's great. And um, I know it's like, I feel like I know you really well because there's a bond with the comedy yes. thing. Can you talk yes. about that a little bit? Like when you work with people and, and you, you bond with them. Yeah, you really do. Especially when they're funny. You can't, it's, you don't want to bond with somebody if they're not funny. Like you could like them in the green room and be like, oh God, I hope they're funny. Cause if they're not, like it's going to be, you don't want to bond with people that aren't funny because then you feel bad it's, it's and you're, you're not being authentic you're not being truthful it's it's i i we all everyone knows what that what that's like um yeah. were you always a funny kid a funny person like i was terribly shy but i did have a a wit to me but i was very shy i i people don't believe me that but some people really close to me i think believe me that i'm an introvert extrovert where I'm, I mean, I'll even scream in the street, I'm an introvert, but. <laughs> People love but that. They, I'm an introvert. They're like, what? Uh, but I love my alone time. Yes. I really like, I like to like let it all out and then decompress and then like get it all out again. And uh, yeah, so, but as a kid, yeah, I was very funny, but not. I'm more funny in front of strangers and people and people I'm really close to. But people that I know casually, that's who I'm scared of. I hear that. Not, not really now, but as a kid. Like, the people's really, like, but, yeah, that's why when I first started comedy, like, it was like, you. I don't know if they have this in Key West, but uh, I started comedy in New York, and they would have bringer shows. The bringers. Where, Tell us yeah. what was, I think I know what it is. Oh, it was a nightmare. So you would do open mics, and then the next level was bringer shows. So you could have a real audience, and you could invite your friends, and the club would make money off you because you would be bringing people in. So you would have to invite people that you know, and I hated that. I I, I want to perform for strangers so bad, because we. But other people loved the comfort of performing with their own friends. Yeah, performing and looking out in the audience with their own friends. And not me, like I, and and when I first started comedy, even at the mics, I didn't want my then wife to go because I just, I would, I just wanted strangers. I can, I can totally relate to that. Now bringers, they have to pay, right? The they have to pay, they would have to pay to, to, they pay $20 a ticket and then they would have to buy two drinks to watch me do my new stuff. And, and, and I, to be honest, I, I did always kind of, I was pretty funny right away. Yeah, you were worth it. You were worth but, it. But the rest, I host an open mic. I'm getting all these people. And, like, it's like I'm really torturing my friends. But that's what it. friendship is. Yeah, that's true. Supporting I wish other. I had you back then. Through, that's right I've done some I've, I've helped people move but uh, no that yeah. makes sense we don't have those here um we're very spoiled You're at comedy so left You're spoiled so and uh but you got your start did you just uh what what introduced you to stand up or comedy what what was it, it was just um did someone you know do it or were you just like hey. um it was actually my ex-wife once again uh she was like 
we would we both love stand up and we would go see it all the time and watch it and I would and um I would always be like I want to do that and she was like I can't hear you but I had I had done like sketch comedy Mm-hmm. But like, and it wasn't something. I was just in Providence. It's a peep. They had a sketch group called the Pork Chop Lounge, and they asked me to join it. And I was like, okay. And I loved it so much. Like I never felt so alive as when I was doing that. And then I always, to my wife, was always like, I wish I could do something like that again. So I was doing improv at um, at a Bright Citizens Brigade. I took one, oh, two, yeah. one, two, and three. And I did really well in it, but then my wife was like, just do stand-up. Do, do it so you don't have to rely on anybody. So I did it, and I was I didn't want to do it, but I just wanted her to shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it, and I was addicted ever since. Like, I've never gone Best feeling. It's I've the never, best. It's the best. I'm not moments. comparing myself to you, but I mean that feeling. I've gotten a lot better, though, since you first met me. I've gotten... You were already really good. I got thank you thank you too, you too but I, I mean I'm just I, like I really want to work out it in writing and I'm just uh, that feeling of connection is just it's, it's important oof, when you when the audience laughs and it's it's not just there I mean I want them to laugh but that feeling of connection and just that energy is just so uh, there's nothing like it's alive you feel very alive and it really and, is an art and form you're, and you're enjoying being alive which is rare. <laughs> Did you say you're enjoying being a lot? Yeah, well, not every, there have been times, but, but it's, uh, yeah, it is, it's definitely um, a, a great feeling to, to connect and to, um, I don't know, I don't know, it's hard to, um, it, it reminds me of going to the gym, kind of when I leave, I feel the same right. way with, um, with that. Now, wanted to ask, um, tell us about the Jackie Mo show and, and t- why, why is Twitch a good platform? Uh, because I am, I don't know how to do it on my own, <laughs> but I, I do, either. I do it with Comedy Hub Live. So I just go on Zoom and they do it all. Oh, great. Okay. So it's really cool. Cause I have, it's like a late night talk show. So I have like my own desk and then I have a co-host and then I have my guests come in. So it's all like, a, they, they make it pretty animated. It's awesome. That is and all. then, right. yeah, so then, so I do my opening monologue, and then I banter with the co-host, and we do a top ten list, and then uh, I have two comics on, and they they do stand up, and then they, then I interview them at the desk, and then, yeah, and then I do segments in between and stuff, so it's really fun. That's great, that's great. And oh my gosh, you would want me to do some, some, some jokes? Stand- yes. Wow, yeah, yes. that's, thank you, I mean, it'd be, uh, that's, that's big time. Yes, that's a it's lot. gonna be Thank really you. fun. I appreciate, it's be so it. fun. I appreciate it. You should it. come here too and get to do. I have only been to LA once. I was on Venice Beach. I was I was at like a work thing in downtown, and that's back when I drank. So there, oh, it wow. wasn't as pretty as. So you were just like, <laughs> it was bad. At one point, I couldn't leave the hotel room, like, not in a good way. And I don't know, it was just a mess. And that's because you and I both uh, share the the we are on a sober path. We you're very... are sober, and that's why I loved you right away too. Like, not even if you weren't sober, I feel like I would have loved you right away. But I just feel like a connection with you. And 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 yeah. like like yourself, I mean, uh, like me, we're both pretty op- very open about it because yeah. um, I, I say why not? I mean, it's very. Uh, I mean, sometimes I get nervous. I'm like, oh, well, presumptuous. But no, I love being sober. I love the life I have today. It was. Um, I don't know, and I uh, like I have some material about getting sober, but honestly. 
my stuff my my stuff wasn't really funny <laughs> some of it was <laughs> you know people go oh give it some time it'll be funny i'm like i'm mm, kind of sad kind of oh, you have no. material about about i do drinking I do. days i do I, well, one of my jokes, you might have heard it. I was like, I quit drinking, but I don't judge people that still do now that I'm superior. <laughs> I remember. That is great. That is great because it's, um because, uh, you know, because I find audiences, I, there's always somebody that kind of boos. And then after I tell them the story, then the blackouts, they're like, okay, yeah, keep yeah. on that path, Gwen. Keep on that path. Because, you know, because I, I don't know if the average audience member understands, you know, it's like, I'm not california sober which is this weird people can do what they want but i'm like mm, let's oh my god i just realized i had a dream that i was california sober does that mean I, that means you smoke pot and okay yeah but i'm not i'm sober sober no it's no weird. no but you dreamt about um yeah that's weird i well you know why it is i think i think i was looking at demi lovaro her last name is lovato she, i think yeah yeah lovato. yeah and, and she used to be california sober correct so I, think, that, I think yeah i think that stuck in my head that's but, the only way i noticed from her but didn't she backtrack that and go oh no wait that yeah, wasn't a good idea sober sober now good yeah. good good demi because it's uh you know it's people can not, do what they want but man that's not gonna i, I can't do anything because it's not gonna me neither but, I, but I also i love being in the moment i know and I'm, I'm like, um, I'm a happy person. You know, I got the, I, I don't want to risk anything. I got the depression, but I have a lot of outside help. But a friend of mine keeps saying, why don't you do this microdosing? I was like, I didn't microdose anything. There's, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not. And she's like, oh, but, and I go, you know what? It'll make you feel better. I was like, you know what used to make me feel better? <laughs> Drugs and alcohol. <laughs> so I, and she cares about me, but I'm just like, I got to be careful with that stuff. It's, um, it's uh but but um what uh what is your life like right now are there new projects are do you write a lot what's going on do you oh wait you have a cat where's that cat bishop oh no it's not my cat okay ah, i was I thought it was your cat i know I'm so that was sorry. it was very making an assumption yeah but also do you I know that let, cat i i let people I, I let people think it was my cat for sure <laughs> I, you aren't making an assumption like Anybody would think it was my cat. You're like, this is Bishop on Instagram, and he's so handsome. He's and, so handsome. Um, what a good cat. He's the best cat ever. But you do know him. That wasn't... I do. It's my friend's cat. Okay, you didn't steal a cat. I did not steal a cat, no. It is. It was an award-winning cat. What? Yeah, it was in, like, shows and stuff. Like, it has papers. It's, um... It's face was, like... <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> it's, a, it's a Bombay cat. Oh, cat shows, award-winning. Yeah. Okay, I thought maybe it had an Emmy. Yeah. Okay, cat, cat. Yeah, no, it gets no, no, perfect no. for in the cat world. Yeah, yeah. It's a Bombay cat, so it's smaller. Oh, he's small. Okay, Bishop. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Is he nice? Is he fancy? Is he kind of like? Yeah. Oh, for sure. He is fancy. Yeah, fancy cat. Is he friendly? Is he stuck up? I mean, like too friendly like i just i couldn't believe it. it's like a person like people would come over and we would be like standing by the door like saying goodbye and the cat would just be like like it was another person they can't really oh. felt like it was another person like in the conversation like a budinsky yeah <laughs> i've been using like that word a lot that. it just came up budinsky. the other night at a bar i was like this person's a budinsky <laughs> this person insulted my friend and then i go we weren't talking to her and I was like, Budinsky. And they were all like, okay. But, but I, I made it Budinsky. worse. 
I feel I like that should be the name of your album. <laughs> no, my album's going to be Gwen Felosa New Meds. Ooh, I love that. I'm working on it. I'm working on oh, it. Good. I, I'm, I'm on meds, too. I'm on the antidepressants and I'm on I'm I uh, appreciate it I call them the getting out of bed pills yeah and uh, yeah. I, I do other stuff but I I, I need uh, I like medicine I like modern medicine yeah I like I, it too I like appreciate it because it um I read this awesome thing recently that people that I don't know if you've had trauma <laughs> but I, yeah I think so I just went to some trauma. trauma therapy the lady said okay. I had some but. we have trauma I have chronic trauma I'm sure complex trauma is that what it's called okay or chronic I forget you probably have it too but um anybody with PTSD I read that the only thing we have to do in life is forgive ourselves for the silly things we did to, to stay alive I love that isn't that great I've never heard that before that's all we have to do like a self-forgiveness or like, okay. Okay. Not not to stop feeling. Okay. How do we know? How do I know how I feel? Okay. I think I understand. Yeah. It's kind of like turning it over every day. Just like, no, I like, I like it. I went to some trauma therapy. It was like these three hour sessions. The woman was very great, but I, I, I got a lot out of it. But then once she wanted me to play patty cake with her while we did a, no, Okay, I was so worried you're gonna go. Patty cake is important, um, and I just looked at her and I thought, "We're done." Nice lady, was though. She really? I, I'm sure there's a scientific basis. Um, she's probably gonna listen to this and be like, "No, she was great. She helps a lot of people." But there, you know, it was it was kind of like yeah. going to a spot. I like the chair. She had a great chair. Yeah. What about EMDR? Have you ever done that? I, th- I think I'm saying the wrong thing. I thought that's what I was going to, but this was like a rapid something. Or uh, But EMDR, I've heard great things about. Yeah, I would try that. It made me feel euphoric. It felt like I was on drugs. That's almost so a release, a relief. Okay. Yeah. But it's um, not drugs, obviously. And you um, you feel like you can conquer the world. Okay, I'm looking at because it gets rid of all it goes to the trauma spot and like has you flip it over okay okay because i think yeah. um because I, I well i first went and i said i don't think i have any trauma and she just looked at me like yeah okay there's stuff going on i was like because i was like well i think that i'm you know so uh yeah it was good it was good and uh, I, I did get a lot of help god i feel bad yeah. about the patty cake it's it's what happened I wouldn't, I wouldn't be into that either. It just didn't, I knew what she meant, I think, but nice lady and okay. Was it real patty cake? Or did yeah, she, we, she wanted to play patty cake and, and I didn't really remember oh how. God. I don't think we played that in Indiana. Oh, that's insane. It's, that's too it's much. Too much. Before I forget. I, I oh, know ahead. tapping. Do you know tapping? Tapping. This was, pat. well, you, you hit your, well, we're on Zoom so I can go patty cake, patty. No, that's and, not right. You're right. Like I'm, glad, I'm glad you got out of there. Yeah, yeah, but it was um, it was only went to like four sessions. I'm out of there. Yeah, no, it was it was worth. I'll do anything if I if um, therapeutically wise. But before I forget, are you from? You're from the Northeast, right? I'm from. I I was born technically in New Jersey, right outside of New York, and then I lived to went to Connecticut, grew up in Rhode Island, then moved to Philadelphia, New York City, and now here. So you're a New Englander. Yeah. By by birth, by no tri-state by birth. Tri-state New by birth. New Englander by period. I had my period there, and I. I, <laughs> I live. I feel like where you have your period is where you. 
that's you actually are. i think you're right i think yeah. that's um so when I, so i'm from rhode island i have that accent a little i just want to because i thought it was connecticut i didn't want to get it wrong but yeah that's rhode cool. island. i like the yankee women yeah yankee doodle dandy <laughs> Now I'm gonna have patty cake in my head for the rest oh of. Oh my god, I <laughs> love it! But don't for, don't forget to forgive yourself every day for. Okay. No, I love that. that you did staying alive. Staying alive. That's important stuff. Jackie Monahan, thank you so much for taking the time coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, follow me on, on Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Where can we follow you? Follow me on Instagram, and on Instagram I have a link a tree link, whatever it's called. Yeah. And it has all my shows on there. Great. Okay. I have a link tree too. It doesn't have a lot. Get ready. We both have link trees. Link trees are cool. Cause you get. Mark Kurlansky, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. The importance of not being earnest, my life with the uninvited Hemingway. This is so um, fascinating to me because I have my own (laughs) uh, (laughs) relationship with Mr. Hemingway. Um, So so go ahead, tell me what led to this book, what inspired you. Let me just show you how it goes in my life. Uh, a couple of days ago, I'm walking down the street, my the block that I live in in Manhattan, and a doorman further down the street, who I happen to know, shouts out from his building, hey, you look like Hemingway. <laughs> I okay. Mean, apropos of nothing, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it's like Hemingway just keeps popping up in my life. So... The idea for this book came when I, I, I fly fish a river in Idaho called the Big Wood, which runs through the town of Ketchum. And um, the great thing about fly fishing is that you don't think about anything else. You know, you try to think like a trout. And, you know, you, you worry about the bug hatch and the flow of the river. And, um, but suddenly... I realized that I was coming up on the part of the bank where Hemingway killed himself. And then I had this incredible revelation. This was like 10 years ago that I was now older than Hemingway ever lived to be, which was extraordinary because Ketchum was full of all these photographs of this old stooped over white haired man. Um, he called himself Papa, and he was younger than me. <laughs> and <clears throat> there was a kind of a liberation to this. Uh, you know, I was entering chapters of my life that Hemingway never had. Um, and this led me to start thinking about how Hemingway has almost always been present. In my life. Um, I, by coincidence, was in Idaho the day he shot himself. Um, I lived for 10 years in Paris. I've been writing about the Basques in Spain and France for 50 years, uh, which had nothing to do with Hemingway. 
I mean, my writing about them had nothing to do with Hemingway. I, I covered uh, <clears throat> Cuba because I covered um, the Caribbean for the Chicago Tribune. And I, I've been writing about Cuba for some 40 years, not because Hemingway was there. <laughs> and uh, I, I fish in Idaho because the Basques, there's a huge Basque community in Idaho, and they invited me to come out there, and I liked it. It had nothing to do with Hemingway either. <clears throat> but, you know, he kept turning up, and lots of other coincidences like that I discovered while working on this book, like Hemingway played the cello as a child. I played the cello. Actually, unlike Hemingway, I kept playing the cello. I still play the cello. And... Um, my favorite hotel in Chicago, the White Hall, turns out to have been his favorite hotel, although when it was his favorite hotel, it was a new modern state-of-the-art hotel. I liked it because it's an old, quaint hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, the hotel that I used to stay in for $4 a night in Greenwich Village in New York when I was a teenager, I recently found out is the hotel where he was billeted before he was shipped off to World War I. Uh, so these things just keep turning up it's a um, lot of things yeah and, and so the book is about it's about my life and his life and how they compare and how they differ and ultimately it's about the writing life i mean the one thing maybe the only thing that i really have in common with hemingway is that both of us have spent our lives caring more about books than anything else there's something that's often missed about Hemingway. That's what he really cared about in his books and painting. And um, people who knew him said, if you wanted to get to the real Hemingway, which is hard to do because he had so many different facets to his personality. Don't talk about boxing or bullfighting or fishing or hunting. Talk about books. Isn't that something that, that almost can get lost? I mean, I'm living in Key West and in, you know, we talk about Hemingway. He drank here. He boxed here. He fished. Oh my gosh, did he fish? And that the Hemingway Home Museum is beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of property. It was there before him. But um, the the writing can get lost. Um, I mean, I grew yeah, up. You know, one time time I was in the Hemingway Museum in Key West, and I was in the gifts shop, and there was a woman there, and she's going, "What should I get?" And I pointed to the, the bookshelf that had all his works. And I said, get some of these books. That's what it's all about. <laughs> and I'm happy to say she did. That's great. Because every once in a while, someone will hear someone, you know, walk by and say, well, who's that? And I'm like, come on. Like, but. Um... Listen, in, in, in Havana, uh, they have preserved uh, his room in the Ambos Mundos Hotel. And for a couple of pesos, you can go up and they put some heavyweight furniture in it. There's a guy who talks about Hemingway. He went up to the room and there were these Italian tourists there. And they said to the guy, what is he doing now? And she said, well, he's dead. And they were crushed. Oh, what happened? <laughs> I had no idea who Hemingway was. It's a long story, sir. Sit down. Um, but here... Um, what what are the greatest books, and what's a book that you're kind of like, eh, it didn't work out? It'd be, I know there's a lot of books going on, but with Hemingway's work, what what would about you about Hemingway or by Hemingway? But by by Hemingway, like what are the top tier? Okay, well, 
Hemingway's best writing was his short stories. He was an absolute master of short stories. And one of the things that shows this is you take a collection of Hemingway short stories, just read the opening line of each one. Every Hemingway short story has a great opening line. You know, Hemingway, more than anything, was a storyteller. And this was his uh, medium, uh, writing short stories. I love writing short I've, I've published three collections of short stories. It's my favorite thing to write and my favorite thing to read. Hemingway short stories are just the best of Hemingway. Uh, my favorite Hemingway novel is A Farewell to the Arms, which I read when I was uh, a teenager and uh, the war in Vietnam was just starting to show up on the horizon and I had some very strong anti-war feelings. And this book just astounded me. People don't realize it, but it's one of the greatest anti-war books ever read. I, I again, I, I too read that in high school. And I was like this little kid in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And it changed. It, those were the books that changed me. I didn't know there's... Where in Indiana are you from? North Vernon, Indiana. Ah, no one's I ever heard of I went to Butler. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I know Butler. And I, I just didn't know there was anything outside of that town. And and those books are, are amazing. Um, are there any books that you're just kind of like, maybe that didn't work out? You can tell me. The worst thing, the worst thing he ever wrote was uh, Dangerous Summer, which was supposed to be an article for Life magazine. And they had to publish it in three different installments. It was so long. And then somebody... After his death, put it together as a book. It's about a mano a mano bullfighting contest between two famous matadors. Um, I really think that it's one of the few times that Hemingway was ever really bad. But when I was when I was teaching uh, a, a course in nonfiction at Bernard Baruch College in Manhattan, um, I decided to see what would happen if these kids, these New York kids um, read the worst of Hemingway. What would they think of it? They loved it. They absolutely loved it. They liked it better than some of the books that I consider great. The Orwell. <laughs> all these books. All the other books I put out there I thought were great. And this was like the one turkey. It was their opportunity to oh, say what was wrong with writing. They absolutely loved it. And that's, that's the thing about Hemingway. Mm-hmm. He had this voice. He had this voice that was so compelling, probably in real life also, but in his writing. I mean, you just wanted to listen to that man. And um, you've written more than 30 books. Uh, the the um, f- Fly Fishing, The Cod Book, a Salt History uh, paper. But you had, uh, you, you wrote your own uh, uh, book about, uh, called Havana. And, yeah. and I'm wondering, like, um, can you talk a little bit about how your feelings on Cuba and, and how they've changed? And have you been recently or would you go? Uh, I've been fairly recently. I haven't been in the last two or three years. So. Um, I, uh, I started going to Cuba in the early 80s when it was a Soviet financed experiments in socialism. 
And it was an absolutely fascinating place. Um, just, you know, they'd rewritten marriage vows. They were trying to change everything. They were trying to make people different. You know, the new man. Was in. And um, it was uh, probably a lot more interesting than it is today. Uh, although today you can get a better meal. <laughs> uh, the food was quite bad in Soviet times. <laughs> um, uh, except the Floridita was still open. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you could go there and talk to the bartenders who served Hemingway. Um, uh, Hemingway is huge in Havana. Uh, never forgotten. <laughs> it's like they won't let him die. You know, they have this life-size bronze statue of him standing at the bar in the Floridita. Like, Kevin oh. is permanently standing there at the bar. You <laughs> would love uh, that. Yeah. It, it, you know, one day I was I was walking around and it happened to be Father's Day. And one of those American influences on Cuba, Cubans also celebrate Father's Day on the same day. I'm walking around and and People are greeting me. They're, they're saying, hola, papa. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice, because I am a father. I was sort of missing my daughter on that day. And, and, then, and then I realized it wasn't about Father's Day. It was about Hemingway. They were saying that, you know, when Hemingway was alive, he'd walk around and everybody would shout out to him, hola, papa. And he'd wave to them. He had terrible eyesight. He probably had no idea who he was waving at but it was just part of the social order in Havana saying hi to Papa. They're still finding, I guess, bearded Americans to, to play Hemingway. <laughs> um, I, I, I resolved. Also, I was being interviewed. I was being interviewed by a uh, black Cuban journalist who said, you know, you look just like Hemingway. And I said, I mean, as you say, I don't. <laughs> I said, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't think I do. And she said, oh, yes, you do. And I couldn't resist it. I said, do you think all white men look alike? And she <laughs> and said, yeah. <laughs> well, because I'm, I'm not trying to be, I, you have the beard and the, the hair, the glasses. But y- yeah, you don't, you know, you're, you're handsomer than, than Hemingway. But I mean, it's just, it's funny because well, anyway. The, the older Hemingway, when Hemingway was young, he was incredibly handsome. He was amazing. And you know the Hemingway lookalike contest. Yes. It's all papas. We don't see any of the... Right. Uh, or and, they wear, and they all wear these safari suits. Why? Hemingway didn't wear safari suits. What's with the braided sweater? Like the fisherman's... I don't know. I, I don't know. I Oh, that's from the Karsh photograph. Okay. I don't think he'd like it. I think he'd walk around going, really? This is no, all- actually, he said that was his favorite photograph, which is interesting. because Oh, the sweater? Photograph. Okay. It was a photograph that was very Hollywoody and made him look very good. But it's about the only photograph of Hemingway that where his personality doesn't come through. Okay, okay, okay. I just want to see. I, I was in I was in Cuba once, and there was a uh, a recent winner of the Key West Hemingway Lookalike contest. Mm-hmm. His safari suit and his glasses and the medal. I guess they give them a medal. They get a medal. He was walking around wearing the medal and signing autographs. It's a big deal. And wow. Yeah. Okay. They compete for years and I, they're their own society of. Yeah. The Hemingway family tried to stop it. 
Really? Actually, they, they objected to the whole Hemingway Festival. Um, there's a lot of, the Hemingways have lots of issues with Key West. I would imagine that, that there's uh, some, and I, I have I have to ask you, Mark, just because I actually want to know, I'm not, um, you know, the, the Hemingway's, there's some problematic things about maybe things he did or said or uh, <laughs> issues with women. I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around. I mean, how do you, how do you separate or can you, the, 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 uh, the man, you know, we're all flawed. We're all, and then the work, the amazing work. Well, it's a big question, but it's a bigger question with other writers that I like. Uh, I mean, look at Ezra Pound, who was a fascist and gave blatantly anti-Semitic uh, radio broadcasts for Mussolini. And, um, lots of other, what do, you, what, do you, what do you do with it? Should I read Celine? Uh, Hemingway is not that big a problem. Um, the issue with women, I think, is really kind of false uh, because he had all kinds of women in his work. And um, he had strong women, he had weak women. He, I'm not fond of the women who were just, you know, like in uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, you know, who didn't know how to kiss and were so sweet, you know. But he had interesting women. And, and in his life, he clearly liked women. He had a lot of women friends, and he was a great promoter of uh, modernist women writers. Um, so I don't see that as, as an issue at all. Um, some people try to make an issue about race, and I don't think that's a true issue. Yes, he had characters who used the N-word, but that's because he was writing about characters, you know, like Faulkner characters who use the n-word he had racist characters but that doesn't mean that he was a racist i'm i'm a little troubled by if you read his letters he was constantly referring to jews as kikes i I don't know what to make of that but um his son said to me you know that's the way people of his generation in chicago talk you know the wops and kikes um I, I don't know. I don't know that you have to make a big issue about any of these things because he certainly did nothing either in his life or his writing to promote racism or sexism. Um, and uh, you know, like people, people say that uh, the short happy life of Francis McComber is misogynist because it's about a wife who hates her husband. And, um, Maybe, but that's not his standard way of promoting women. He just he just portrayed this one woman that way, and, uh, and it was an interesting character. The thing about Hemingway was that he had all kinds of characters. You know, he had people in Africa hunting. There were people who were sitting around the fire talking about how disgusting hunting was, and denouncing white men who went to Africa to kill wildlife, <laughs> uh, which is what he was doing. And, uh, you never really knew where Hemingway stood on anything from his books because he just, um, he was on all sides. He uh, clearly in his life was a great supporter of the Spanish Republic. Uh, when the Republic collapsed and, and, and Franco won, it was the only recorded time of him publicly in tears. 
Um, and yet, in For Whom the Bell Tolls, you know, he talks about atrocities of the, uh, of the rebels, but he also talks about atrocities of the Republicans. Um, he, uh, he, he just, he was fascinated by the complexity of life and the complexity of him. I mean, um, it, it was said that, you know, the more time you spent with him, the less you understood him. Because he was so many different people. And I talked to some of the few people who were left who knew him. And they didn't seem to be talking about the same person. I mean, I, I had a friend in Idaho who used to hunt with him. And the Hemingway he talked about was nothing like the Hemingway people who knew him in Cuba talked about. For one thing, he was actually a great promoter of Fidel Castro and the revolution and hated Batista. Okay. Uh, and and was was kind of leftist anyway. The Spanish Civil War had very close contacts to the communists. Um, none of that comes to an Idaho. His friends in Idaho didn't know anything about that. They always tell me how much he hated Castro. <laughs> he didn't. I understand. When I'm in Idaho, I don't discuss politics either. <laughs> I might hold off when I'm. Uh... But I, I I also would be remiss if I didn't say when I when I think of Hemingway he did a lot and he only lived to be 61, I think. And um, I, I also think about the struggle of mental illness or uh, being plagued by depression or what I, you know, I'm not, I don't know exactly, obviously, but I mean the. Nobody knows exactly. And, you know, there's probably something biological going on. I mean, his father he, he struggled. committed suicide, his uncle committed suicide. One of his brothers did, one of his sisters did. Uh, one of his uh, sons did, uh, a, a granddaughter. There's clearly something genetic going on. And, and Hemingway scholars have been trying to identify what disease this is, but it's, it's not really certain. He always seemed to me to be manic depressive, you know, where he would he could talk about how, you know, he was brilliant and done some of the greatest work ever. And then the next day, he's talking about how he's no good. He's washed up. Um, he he kind of swung back and forth. But, and of course, he always talked about suicide, which is not unusual for people whose father did it. Um, but, uh, you know, it almost seemed like he was slated for it. But also a lot of bad luck. He had those two airplane crashes in Africa and he was in a really bad way physically. And um, that may have led to a bad way mentally. And then he went to the Mayo Clinic and he got uh, electric shock treatment. Electric shock treatment apparently diminishes your memory. Well, I, I can tell you personally that memory is everything for a writer. Yes. If you I... don't have memory, you can't write. And, uh, and he couldn't write. He couldn't remember things. He had this tra- He had a fantastic memory. Never wrote things down. Never took notes. Probably led to some inaccuracies. <laughs> I mean, I learned when I was a journalist that you know, if you thought you could just do it without writing it down, uh-uh. It was, it was always a revelation when you're writing the story and you go back and you look in, the, in your notebook and you say, oh, that's what he said. That's not what I thought he said. <laughs> gotta have, gotta have um, but he did everything. He did everything from memory had an incredible memory. 
to lose that incredible memory is, is devastating. Mark Kurlansky, The Importance of Not Being Earnest, uh, New York Times bestselling author. Thank you for taking some time. And uh, well, I'll see you the next time you're in Key West and uh, continued success. I look forward to it. Nice talking. Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.